Welcome and thanks for listening. This is your Nebraska Judicial Branch. Greetings and thanks again for joining us. I'm Gene Cotter, your host. Today, we are here to talk a little bit about a topic that we touched on a couple episodes ago with Deb Van Dyke-Reese of the Court Improvement Project. We are joined today by Misty Flowers and Jill Holt from the Nebraska Indian Child Welfare Coalition. Misty and Jill, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Misty, I'm going to start with you. I don't know that a lot of people really know much about the Nebraska Indian Child Welfare Coalition. Can you just talk a little bit about you as the executive director, what your role is, and then what the role of the Indian Child Welfare Coalition is? Sure. So I want to first introduce myself. Uh, so I say, So I introduced myself in our language and said, I greet you with a good heart. My name is Misty Thomas Flowers, and I am a member of the Santee Sioux Nation. I am East Santee Dakota, and so I am fortunate to work from home on my home reservation. I've been the executive director for the Nebraska Indian Child Welfare Coalition since July 2018, and prior to that, I worked for my tribe as the social services director for about 12 years. And so that's where I kind of got my, my start with child welfare. And I can talk more about the coalition a little bit later, but I'll let Jill introduce herself. Thanks, Misty. So I'm Jill Holt. I am the training and education director for the Nebraska Indian Child Welfare Coalition. I have been in this position since July of 2019. Prior to that, I was the ICWA program coordinator for Nebraska Department of Health and Human Services for about two and a half years. Prior to that, I worked for the Ponca Tribe of Nebraska as their ICWA specialist for about seven and a half years. So Misty and I have been doing this work together for many, many years now. So Jill, you talked about, you used an acronym there, ICWA, which is the Indian Child Welfare Act, correct? Yes. And that speaks to the federal law. There is also a Nebraska Indian Child Welfare Act, which may be referenced as NICWA at some point during our conversation today. Is that accurate? Yes. Okay, could, Misty, would you just talk a little bit about ICWA and NICWA and differentiate between those two, if you would? Sure. So the federal law was enacted in 1978, and it was really in response to the number of children that were being removed from their homes and adopted into non-Native families. Um, It was called the 60s Scoop or the Indian Adoption Project. It was the 60s Scoop in Canada. Here in the U.S., it was the Indian Adoption Project. The thought behind it or the goal behind it was to assimilate our people into non-native families and non-native culture. So there was a very large number of native children being removed from their homes, in addition to other things such as the boarding schools. But in response to the Indian Adoption Project, the Indian Child Welfare Act was enacted in 1978. The Nebraska law, we got amended in 2015. So that's the Nebraska ICWA. And when you say the Nebraska law got adopted in 2015, is there differences? Is there nuances to that? What's the difference, if anything, between the federal law and the Nebraska law? 
some of the areas that uh, are the Nebraska law defines a little bit more would be the active versus reasonable efforts to maintain or reunify families. And then also placement preferences, uh, best in interest of the Indian child, including political, social, and cultural connection with tribe and tribal community. So that speaks to the importance of it. Jill, not to leave you out here, why, why do we need special legislation? Why do we need to codify acts such like is ICWA and NICWA? Well, it goes back to what Misty was talking about, the historical and intergenerational trauma that resulted from the boarding school era and from the Indian Adoption Project. We continue to see a disproportionate number of American Indian Alaska Native kids in our child welfare system nationally, but also Nebraska has historically ranked within the top five in the nation states for disproportionate numbers. Why is it important for the courts, probation, folks in child welfare, folks in juvenile justice to understand this topic and, the, and just the absolute importance that goes along with it? There are additional protections if there's an Indian child involved in your child welfare case. There's additional protections under the Indian Child Welfare Act that must be followed. And Misty alluded to some of those as far as active efforts versus reasonable efforts. Reasonable efforts are still required, but active efforts are required on top of that. We need to ensure that the best interest standard of an Indian child is being followed in our cases, which is different than in your non-ICWA cases. It goes to that political, social, and cultural connection to their tribe and their tribal community. If I am a probation officer, and I don't know necessarily if this is a misty question or a Joe question, but as a longtime field officer, uh, I worked in areas where, for example, when I lived out in western Nebraska, we had a lot of people from Rosebud who would uh, come down or from the Pine Ridge uh, that I worked with. I'm, ne I'm not necessarily sure how I knew exactly if they were registered with the tribe, if that came with extra resources available to them, how, how we verify that kind of stuff. Can one of you speak to just exactly that? How do we make sure that we are addressing the needs that we need to be addressing? It's interesting that you mention Oglala and Rosebud because they um, have the highest numbers of their kids um, in our child welfare system here in Nebraska. They are the top two tribes with their kids in our system. As far as probation goes, the BIA, the Bureau of Indian Affairs, passed regulations that went into effect in December of 2016 following our amendments to the Nebraska ICWA. And a lot of those same things that we included in our state statute are followed in those regulations. But the regulations also did make it very clear that delinquency cases for juveniles do not qualify for protections under the Indian Child Welfare Act. So it is really important that we're following that in our child welfare cases. Going back to your question about registration and how we would know whether someone is a member of a federally recognized tribe, the Indian Child Welfare Act actually speaks to membership in a tribe, but tribes and individuals do talk about registration and enrollment, often they mean the same thing. What we're looking for is for a tribe to verify for us whether a child is a member of their tribe or if that child is eligible for membership and the biological child of a member of a federally recognized tribe. So that's the qualifications for the protections under the Indian Child Welfare Act. It really is a political status versus a racial status. So the Indian Child Welfare Act is not a race-based law whatsoever. It is based on that political status of that child being a member of a tribe, 
in their tribal nation as well as a citizen of the United States. They have dual citizenship. They are the only population in the United States with that status of dual citizenship. Misty, I'm going to go back to you for a minute. Uh, You're both from the Nebraska Indian Child Welfare Coalition. Talk a little bit about how did the coalition come to be and what role does a coalition play? So we started as a grassroots organization, and it really started as tribal representatives from each of the tribes and other organizations and other interested parties that have an interest in the ICWA implementation in the state of Nebraska. And that started in 2008. Jill talked about it earlier about how we've worked together. So Jill and I were both on the coalition at that time in very indifferent roles. We just continued to meet over the years and talk about what are the issues, talking about data, um, research, uh, legislation, uh, things that affect Native children and families. And we always talked about how great it would be if we had a nonprofit organization so we could have staff that could have more time to dedicate to these issues. And so in 2017 was when we applied for a grant and were funded and developed into a nonprofit, which we did achieve nonprofit status in 2019. Is the coalition involved in all 93 counties across the state of Nebraska, across all tribes? We are a statewide nonprofit organization, and we try to have representation from all of the tribes, especially the tribes here that are headquartered in Nebraska, and also, like she was talking about, like Rosebud and Pine Ridge, other tribes are welcome to participate and be a part of the coalition calls that we have. We have monthly coalition calls. Those have been ongoing since 2008. We try to very consistently meet on a monthly basis to touch base with everybody. What is going on out there in the field? What can we help with? Here's what we're doing. Hear from other partners and agencies. But we also have a board of directors as a nonprofit organization. So we definitely try to have representation from each of the tribes as much as we possibly can and try to have tribal representation. I know that we find ourselves in positions where we have a lot of need. We have a lot of people that we need to serve, but we don't have a lot of resources available to us. Talk a little bit, if you would, about the resources maybe you have or don't have available to you as a coalition. A lot of what we do, we do a lot of training and education, a lot of awareness about ICWA and child welfare as it relates to Native American children and families. So we can help provide that resource. We get asked quite a bit to do training and education. So that's a resource that we're able to provide. A lot of Native families will reach out to us because they feel like they're not getting anywhere with their case. They feel like they have issues within their case where ICWA is not being complied with and their rights are not being protected. I mean, our resources are limited because we have a, we're have we a small organization. That's one of the areas we would definitely want to expand upon in, is to have like tribal liaison positions that would really be able to help Native families and youth and ad- advocate for their rights. So sometimes we get involved in cases that are current and ongoing. But that is, like I said, that's an area we would like to to have more resources for. And to go along with that, um, with the tribal liaison, we would also like to have legal advocacy. Because a lot of times we hear from families that they have an attorney, but they don't know and understand ICWA. And so we definitely want to see more 
education and training for court staff, including attorneys. That's an area we would like to see more expansion upon. Another area is service provision. According to ICWA, they are supposed to have, Jill talked about active efforts versus reasonable efforts. The services should be like culturally competent, culturally compassionate to Native families. And we definitely know that services that are culturally compassionate or really use culture as a protective factor and rehabilitation, all of that, that those are more effective for our people. And so we would like to see more services like that. And I think across the state, we see that services as a whole is lacking, but culturally appropriate services is lacking even more, especially in the rural areas. You know, here, you know, in Lincoln and Omaha, we have more services that are available, you know, all together and including the culturally compassionate services, but especially in the rural areas, uh, we're really lacking in services. One of the big words that really stood out to me, especially early in your answer, was that of the advocate or the advocacy. What does that look like for you right now when you are lacking services and the legal representation that you talked about? We do a number of things like on a wider scale level. We serve on like the Nebraska Children's Commission and various committees and commissions, like, you know, all those types of boards, but also... For individual families, we will advocate on behalf of the families, like, you know, sometimes going to court if needed or uh, family team meetings, um, talking to caseworkers, emailing and trying to connect them with resources, things like that. Like I said, our, our resources are limited in that area. So how do people find you if they need you? We have our social media pages. We have the largest following on Facebook specifically. So we are uh, on social media. We have a website, uh, www.nickwick.org. That's N-I-C-W-C.org. Okay. And Nebraska Indian Child Welfare Coalition, is that your Facebook page? I believe it's Nebraska Indian Child Welfare Coalition. Okay. I'm sure if they look for it, they should be yeah, able to find it. it. it should come yeah. up. All right, yeah. good. Well, we'll make sure that we try to get people out there to look at that. Something I would absolutely be remiss if I didn't speak about. As I said earlier, we had Deb Van Dyke Reese from the Court Improvement Project in here recently. I know over the last few years, couple for sure, they have made a concerted effort to get Judge Rungi and others into especially the juvenile court judges' education to, to make sure that there was educational opportunities for the judiciary around ICWA and NICWA. I also know that in 2018, the Chief Justice, as part of Access to Justice, created the Nebraska Consortium of Tribal, State, and Federal Courts. Can you talk a little bit about that effort, the consortium? So with the consortium, it was kind of slow going at first, but I think we've kind of picked up some momentum. Some of the things that the consortium has done is we did some listening sessions, and unfortunately, uh, one of them got canceled, and I don't know that we'll be able to get that. I, I hope that we'll be able to get that one going, going again in western Nebraska, because I feel like that's an important area for us to be doing a listening session in, because like I said, a lot of times outside of like Lincoln and Omaha, the rural areas get forgotten about. But we have been working on identifying gaps in service for tribal communities, tribal courts, you know, connecting services, and also B2I, uh, Bridge to Independence. 
um, that has been um, a big area of our focus as well because uh, we got B2I. We had some amendments to B2I to um, kind of bridge an age gap for tribal youth, and that was in 2019. That went into effect in July of this year. And so last year is when we got the legislation amended. Right. Um, so we have a lot of work to do in that area as far as bridge to independence and tribal youth. And so that's an area of our focus as well. And um, the, the consortium has been working on that issue. And so um, we actually just got a, uh, it's called the Springboard Prize. It is a very competitive national award that we were able to receive. And so with the Springboard Prize, we actually will have a full-time staff person that will be able to have more time dedicated to that, just that issue of, of bridge to independence. Where does the springboard prize come from? What is it exactly? It's funded through the V Foundation. This is the first time they've ever had the springboard prize. Have, did you have to apply for it? Did yeah. somebody nominate you for it? We applied for it, and um, there were 389 um, applicants nationwide and four awardees, and we were one of those. When we think about the Nebraska Consortium, one of the, I believe, the efforts is that they they really want to try to demonstrate that the tribal court, state court, and federal courts are on the same page. How important is the are the optics of that, that everybody is, is working in the same direction instead of maybe pulling against each other? I think that one of the goals of the coalition or the consortium was to work together and to help bridge some of those gaps. Like specifically with B2I, we have the way that it's written in in statute is that if they are, say, in tribal court, in order to be have services under B2I, they would have to switch to a county court. So then they're switching judges. I know one of the conversations we've had was, uh, talking about how to st- kind of streamline services. One of the judges offered to, rather than have the youth go to their court, that they come to the tribal court, and they could have court right there in the tribal court. So that is, I think, a demonstration of how the courts can work together to help streamline services and, you know, maybe even learn from each other, you know, what best practices and working with uh, Native children and families, things like that. November is Native American Heritage Month. Misty, anything that you would like to talk about regarding the recognition and celebration of Native American Heritage Month in November? You know, any time that we get to celebrate Native American heritage is always a good time for us. You know, we just had Columbus Day, which is Native American Day, and they had a big celebration at the Capitol, and that was really nice to have things like that and to raise awareness about issues and celebrate heritage. I always think that that's a good thing. I appreciate everybody's time and willingness to wanting to learn more. That's what we're here for, as far as Nickwit goes, is try to help spread awareness and help people learn about Native American culture so that we can improve services to Native children and families. Misty Thomas-Flowers and Jill Holt, I know that one of the things that you absolutely try to do is you educate, you advocate, and you bring people together to make sure that Indian children are culturally connected and their rights are protected. Thank you very much for joining us today to make sure that that message gets out. Thank you. Yes, thank you so much. This has been another episode of Your Nebraska Judicial Branch. Please remember to subscribe, like, and review us on your favorite podcast platform.